That's 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 to 17. Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sophonies, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, in all your speaking and in all your knowledge, because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, is faithful. I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another, so that there may be no divisions among you, and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were, were you baptised into the name of Paul? I am thankful that I did not baptise any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so no one can say that you were baptised into my name. Yes, I also baptised the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptised anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptise, but to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. This is the word of the Lord. We thank you, our Lord Jesus, that you are the cornerstone of our church. And we pray, our Lord, that as we reflect on your church, that you would help us to build a church that is based on your words to us. Please help us, our Heavenly Father, this morning as we think on the words of your Spirit Please help us, Father, to listen, to respond rightly, and to put these into practice. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've reached that age now, you can ask me later how old that is, uh, where I am invited for an NHS health check. And um, who's been to one? Quite a few of us, I guess. Yes, some of the oldies like me. Uh, basically, at these NHS health checks, you, um, you get invited to get asked all sorts of questions about your lifestyle. They obviously check your height, your weight, and that sort of thing. And at the end of it, you'll produce this percentage chance of getting heart problems or diabetes at the end. And I've got no idea what I'm meant to do with that information, uh, but uh, that's what you're given. And I've got to be honest, mine didn't start that well. 
Um, as I sat down, the nurse told me that they've just had this state-of-the-art cholesterol machine installed, cost thousands of pounds, and she took my blood and put it in the machine, and for some reason, the machine broke. <laughs> she sat me down and spoke to her colleague and said, I've never seen this happen before. So it wasn't a good start. It seems like my life on um, processed meat has finally caught up with me. But imagine you could do a health check on the church, like the NHS health check did on me. As you look at the church, say, in this country, I wonder what percentage score you would give it. Now, perhaps some of us are a bit more positive. We think of the, the positive stories, the fact that the church is growing in areas, uh, the fact that people are coming to know God. But I guess for lots of us, we will think on the negatives, the fact that our own denomination seems utterly split and divided on the issue of human sexuality, uh, the fact that the church feels increasingly removed from the society it's meant to be engaged with. And in, even in our own constituency, there have been leaders who have failed in their responsibility and abused their power. Or bringing it closer to home and, and focusing on ourselves, I wonder what score you would give your own self. Again, perhaps there are things that are positive, but I'm sure I'm not the only one who quickly thinks to all the times I've let down God, all the things I'm ashamed of, him knowing and others knowing. Well, in this letter of 1 Corinthians, which we're going to look at uh, over the next few weeks, uh, we meet a church that is scoring very, very low on the health assessment. Uh, you can already see, can't you, in verse 11, uh, in the passage we read out, uh, that uh, Paul, who's writing this, uh, speaks of the quarrels in the church. So imagine that. St. Mary's comes together on a Sunday, comes together in its central meetings or, or equip, and uh, more often than not, we're spending time quarreling with one another. But that is just the tip of the iceberg. As you look through this letter, letter, you see there are problems after problems. In chapter 5, we read that someone is in a relationship with their stepmother, and the church is so pro proud of how progressive it's been. Or in chapter 6, we see that some in the church are sleeping with temple prostitutes. Or in chapter 11, Paul says, actually, do you know what? Your church does more harm than good. Imagine that said about a church. And the big question that coming into today is, what do you do with a church like that? What do you do when you're faced with that many problems? How do you respond to a church that is so unhealthy? And I hope that as we look at today and in the weeks to come, that this will equip us to know how to address the problems we face in our day and show us that actually the gospel gives us enough to deal with them. We see today Paul says three things before he gets to the problems. First of all, he says you're called by Christ. Secondly, you're changed by Christ. And then thirdly, he's going to tell us to center on Christ. Now, imagine you're writing this letter. You've heard these reports of the church quarreling. You've heard these reports of uh, all sorts of scandals. I wonder how you would start this letter. 
I don't know about you, but I would be writing, what are you doing? You're crazy. You've let Jesus down. But notice where Paul starts. Notice where he starts in verse 2. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy. He says, you're called. You're called to be holy. And we miss this in our English translations of the word church, but the word church in the original is the idea of being called out. So he says you've been called out of this world to become the gathered people of God. In other words, Paul doesn't start with their failures. doesn't start with the big problems. He starts with God's call on them. And verse 9 tells us what they're called to. Verse 9 He says, God who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. See, that word fellowship, it's a kind of, you know, it's a bit of a bland word. It's a kind of churchy word, isn't it? Let's have fellowship together. But it's so powerful. It speaks of a, a strong bond. It's a word often used of the Trinity itself. And he says, you have been called into that relationship with God himself. See, the church is not a social club. Nothing wrong with social clubs. I'm sure lots of us are members of social clubs. But the thing about a social club is you join it because you're interested in that particular activity or particular interest. And the church is not a kind of sports supporters club. It's not like a you know, team of football uh, supporters. Because you join those groups, don't you, when you like the team. See, the church, fundamentally, is a group of people who have been called out of the world to know God. Think back to Jesus and the early disciples. We read in Mark that Jesus walked past Simon and Andrew, and they were cast in their nets into the sea. And Jesus goes up to them and he says, follow me. And they follow him. And that is the story of every single Christian. If you're a Christian, if you've recognized Jesus for who he is, it is because God has called you. And you can see, can't you, how this dramatically changes the problems here. Uh, See, as I say, you're faced with these huge amounts of problems, but where does Paul start? He starts with the fact they are called by God. I don't know if you've ever had that experience of looking after other people's children, uh, I remember a few years back when Claire and I, before we had children, we thought it was a good idea to ask our friends if we could look after their children for the day. We thought, how hard can it be? We took them to a farm. Now, the farm is not the place you take them. There are so many hazards, animals, washed hands, that sort of thing. And as soon as we had them, there was that deep sense of fear and responsibility because we know these people belong to someone else. It was such a relief to hand them over safe at the end of the day in one piece. And there's something of that here. See, Paul doesn't just see a group of problem people. He doesn't see a social club that's lost its way. He sees a group of people that are precious to God, that are called by him. Maybe here this morning, and you know your life is not as it should be, and and you're just caught up in consistent failure after failure. But if you're a Christian, 
You have been called by God. And it might be that we attempted to look at others and we see their failures and their problems. But again, if they're in Christ, well, God sees them as valuable. God has called them. So you can see, can't you, already how this completely changes the dynamic. This is not just a church of problems. This is a group called by God. But how does that change things uh, as we get to the problems? Well, secondly, Paul goes on to speak about how that call has changed them. Um, Again, if you were starting this letter, I don't think I would start by saying this about them in verse 2. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified, it's the word holy, or holified as I like to think of it, in Christ Jesus, called to be holy. And so here's a church that has got all sorts of problems, and what does Paul say about them? Well, they're holy. They're sanctified. It's not the first words I would think of when given my health assessment. So how can Paul call this church, with all its problems, holy, sanctified? Well, notice where Paul attributes this Uh, these values. Look at verse 4. He says this, I always thank God, again, not my first thought, I always thank God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way. Notice where the focus is here. Do Do you see? It's not on them, is it? He gives thanks for them, but he's giving thanks for God's work in them. I thank God because of His grace given to you in Christ Jesus. So this isn't Paul's kind of brushing their sin under the carpet. It's not Paul kind of um, doing the uh, school report for the naughty kid. Any of us uh, teachers know, I think this is right, I probably got a few of these, but when you've got a naughty kid, you're not allowed to just write a school report that says they're naughty, at least I don't think you are. Uh, you have to say kind of negative things in a positive way, like instead of they talk too much, you have to say they're confident in expressing their mind. (laughs) I had that comment a few times, let me tell you. I thought it was a positive, but found out it wasn't. It's not Paul kind of doing that, trying to pretend actually this doesn't matter. He will say some very strong things to them, But rather than that, he sees what Christ has done to them. See, look at the Corinthians on their own, and this is just a group of dysfunctional, divided, sexually immoral uh, people. And yet, when Paul holds up the prism of the gospel and looks at them through that, he sees the most beautiful image. He sees a church that is made holy, that is sanctified in Christ. This is fundamentally what is at the heart of the Christian message. Uh, If you don't um, kind of get this, please do think about that Christianity Explored course, because so many people miss this. They think Christianity is all about kind of us sorting ourselves out, us pulling our spiritual socks up, us being a decent set of people. But God calls a people who are a mess, He calls a people who cannot change on their own, and he makes them holy. 
He makes them holy not because there's something intrinsic in us, but because of the death of His Son. See, on the cross, Jesus died in our place. He took on Himself our sins, our failures, our messes, so that we might receive His identity, that God may look on us and see us as holy, see us as precious in His sight, see us in the way He sees His Son. See, without the cross, there's every reason to despair, there's every reason to chuck the book at this church, but actually hold up the cross to these people, and you see a transformed people in Christ. Again, maybe you think to yourself, well, God must have lost patience with me. I've tried to kick this sin, but it just keeps coming up time and time again. Well, look at the Corinthian church. Are you worse than them? And yet, Paul is able to start this letter by saying, I'm thankful that you're holy, sanctified in Christ. Maybe you're tempted to give up on others. Maybe you think they've had five chances, six chances, seven chances. Why should I carry on? But couldn't the same be said of the Corinthian church? And yet Paul is able to give thanks because of what Christ has done. And as we look at the wider church, well, there are many reasons to, to be discouraged. Of course there are. But actually, we mustn't forget that Christ's grace and His work of redemption is even bigger than our failures. So, Paul starts by saying, you're called, you're changed, and then he finishes by getting them to center on Christ. You might be thinking to yourself, when's Paul actually going to get on to the real juicy stuff? You know, that's what we know about 1 Corinthians. We want to hear about the problems. Well, he does get there uh, in verse 11 and 12, because here we see that things aren't right. Uh, in verse 11, he says, my brothers, some from Chloe's household, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas or Peter. Still another, I follow Christ. See, it seems that the Corinthian church have kind of found their favorite preacher and are kind of becoming spiritual groupies around uh, each preacher. I was thinking about this. I was thinking, actually, we really do crave celebrity, don't we? I know uh, all of us do. It makes us feel important. I was thinking about this this week when I saw that the most read story on the Basingstoke Gazette, uh, anyone see this this week? We had a visitor in town. Anyone? Tom Hardy, the actor, yeah? He asked for directions in Basingstoke. <laughs> Would you believe it? Most read story. And there's a picture of him. Someone pointing that way. I know some of us are thinking, who's Tom Hardy? But uh, he's a celebrity. Ask your grandchildren. Um, yeah, and I guess that makes us feel important. You know, Tom Hardy was driving through. We've been touched by this kind of divine celebrity. And the Christians are doing that in this church. They're gathering around their favorite preacher, their, their, their kind of most impressive minister, one says, I love Paul. Do you know, I love the way Paul writes, the way he puts things into words. I love to follow him. I read everything by him. Do you know what? Some say, verse 14, 
I was even baptized with him. Were you? Fantastic. Others are saying, well, do you know what? I'm not really a Paul man. He's a bit too heavy for me. I love Apollos. His sermons are so uplifting. He really moves me as he speaks. Do you know what? I saw him at a Christian conference once. He looked at me. (laughs) Others perhaps say, well, do you know what? I'm more of a Peter man. Peter's more down to earth. I love his illustrations about fishing. They're so funny. We laugh, don't we? But we all recognize it because we all love to kind of gather around who seems impressive. And Paul says, look, your focus is in the complete wrong place. Why are you craving a YouTube preacher or a celebrity? Were they crucified for you? Have they changed you? Did they call you? And so Paul says, verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another, so there be no divisions among you, and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. Now, it's important we hear this right. It's not that Paul is for unity at any cost. You often hear that in the church, that actually we don't worry about doctrine, we worry about unity. But Paul's not saying that. He's not saying that all division is wrong. Uh, Later on, if you're writing notes, 11 verse 19, he says that actually there will be divisions to show who's being faithful to the gospel and who's not. But instead, he's saying, look, I want you to be one mind on this, on Christ and his gospel. That's what he says in verse 17. He has been sent to preach it. That's what his one thing is about, and that's what you should be about as a church. And it makes sense, doesn't it? Why do we need the celebrity? It seems so rubbish talking about Tom Hardy asking for directions when actually all of us in Christ know the creator of the universe. And Paul says, this is where your focus should be. And as we bring this closer to home and and think about St. Mary's, this is where our focus undoubtedly needs to be. And I, I know I say that, and it seems so obvious Why wouldn't we be focused on anything else other than Christ? But let me say, I've heard so many stories, so many stories of churches fighting against one another, of egos, and the answer to all those problems, without exception, the cause of those problems has been a drifting of focus away from Christ. See, we will have our blind spots, I'm sure, And we shouldn't pretend that just because things are good today that there will always be. We need to keep coming back to this truth. We need to keep focusing on our Lord Jesus Christ. Because as we see that we are a church that has been called by Christ, that we're changed by Christ, and so why would we not center on him? Uh, A few things to take away from this. Um, Here's a few thoughts. Uh, First of all, I think don't be surprised at church problems. Don't be surprised at church problems. I don't know about you, but I look at the many challenges we have as a wider church. Let me just say, I should say this, I'm very encouraged by St. Mary's. This isn't about St. Mary's particularly. Uh, But as we look at the wider church, actually, uh, there are many problems. And I'm tempted to think, well, this is a new thing. The challenges we face today have never been faced before, but but that's not the story you get in 1 Corinthians. The church has been here before. The society in Corinth was 
uh, as, as the same as, uh, is lots of ways the same as it is today. And the church undoubtedly had many, many problems. And notice what Paul doesn't do. He doesn't minimize those problems. He doesn't pretend they don't exist. But he sees that actually the gospel can even answer that. See, as we face the many problems we do and the many challenges, we need to remind ourselves we've been here before, that God's word is sufficient and that the gospel can transform things. Second suggestion is to see the spiritual reality before we see the problems. See, we, I don't about you, but it's very easy to focus on the issues with someone, isn't it? Uh, because they're the things that are most apparent. Uh, someone's rubbing us up the wrong way. Someone's in an argument with us. Uh, they're the things we focus on. But actually, Paul shows us that actually the gospel gets us to take a step back and see things from a spiritual perspective. And actually, as we do that, we see things are very different. That person who's irritating, that so-and-so who's let us down, well, actually, if they're in Christ, they've been called by God, they are transformed by him through the cross. Thirdly and finally, keep the main thing the main thing. It's easy to focus on the issues because they're the most obvious, but Paul focuses on Christ. Notice how many times he says it in verse 4, I always thank God because of you for the grace given to you in Christ Jesus, for in him you've been enriched in every way. And in verse 7, therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await for our Lord Jesus Christ. See, the focus is on him. And this may sound very obvious. I feel slightly, um, you know, teaching you the obvious thing by saying this, but this needs to be our focus as a church. Uh, you may be aware that as a church, we're doing a bit of work thinking about the future, thinking about what our priorities might be over the next five years. Well, actually, this is not debatable, is it? That actually Jesus Christ will be central And it helps us to show that everything we do as a church has to be about making him known. Uh, The world doesn't have an answer for the sort of divisions it experiences. The world doesn't have an answer uh, to the sort of uh, things that are spoken about here, but Jesus does, because in him we are called, we are changed, so we need to focus on him. Well, let's pause there. Let's have a moment of pause to reflect for ourselves and our leaders in prayer. to the church of God in Basingstoke, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be holy, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we praise you, our Father, that we in Christ are sanctified, called to be holy. And we pray that we as a church, Father, would be those who focus on Christ. We pray, Father, that you would help us to be quick to forgive, that we would not crave celebrity as the church falls into the error here. But you help us, Father, to see Christ and how he transforms us. And we ask this in his name. Amen.